to get naked? Hi, I'm Kimberly Kane, and this is the Naked Vibe Show. Welcome. I am so happy to have my guest Damian Keys here with me today, and we're going to just dive into some cool conversation. Let me tell you first that the way that I came to him was through his online program, DKMBA, which is amazing. So you've probably seen him around because he's all over the place and he's great at it. And so when I signed up for DKMBA, uh, I just really had some things that I wanted to learn about online marketing for musicians and things like that. And we'll get into talking a little bit about that. I've got a lot of things I want to share with you about him and let you hear from him. So let me right now welcome Damien. Hello. Ah, so nice to be here. That was such a lovely intro. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, there's so much more. I'm a fangirl here and there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I want you to tell people about your university that you started in the UK, which is the largest music university in the world. Is that right? The largest private music, yeah, a bunch of music colleges, music universities. So Yes, yeah, so my my background is whilst it's in education, I would always class myself as an as educator. The irony of the whole thing is I failed high school and like like you know, many entrepreneurs, many sort of successful people failed high school. The difference is is I failed high school and my my mum made me resit the entire year. So all my friends went off to, to college and then I had to go back a year. So I was the oldest kid in my uh, in my class and I had to resit the entire year and I failed again. So at that point, even my mother was like, he's not going to be a lawyer. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to be a lawyer. But <laughs> I, was, I was a musician and in my head I was like, but it's okay because I'm going to make music my life. I'm going to be a rock star. And... You know, I was in many, many bands at the time, playing anywhere and everywhere. But I, I was in one band that started to do quite well. We got signed to a small independent single deal, and we put a single out, and that did quite well. This was back in the day of CDs, you know, when you're selling CDs. Yeah. Uh, and then that did really well. And I say really well. We sold, you know, multiple hundreds at that point of, of CDs, singles. Right, which is great. Yeah, and then... um and then all of the major labels started sniffing around. And so we got taken from, I'm from Wales, which is a uh, you know, country within the United Kingdom, got taken to London and we had to do showcases for labels. And one of the labels signed us, which was called Parlophone Records. And we signed uh, a major label deal, put us in the studio. We had A&R, we had management, we had all of those things that when you're sort of on the outskirts of the music industry or up and coming, you think, ooh, A&R, that sounds exciting. Like, you know, <laughs> right. Nobody knows what that is or right. what they do. <laughs> but it and that you're going to get critiqued until the very, very yeah. smallest microdot. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we made a record and then we got shelved. So there was a lot of changes at the record label and whoever came in just didn't, didn't fancy us that much. And then after a few months, we got dropped off the label. So I was 18 years old. So I, my entire career had gone whoop, whoop all the way up and all the way down in a space of about nine months. Mm-hmm. Familiar. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do I do? What happens now? What do I do? And our manager who said, oh, that's, this was back in the day where there was no social media. He was like, that's it. That's the end. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's rubbish. That was a, that was a bit of a, <laughs> that was a bit, that was not what I was expecting. So, and I said, well, what happens next? 
And he said, um, I don't know, get a job. So I was like, okay, I'll get a job. So I got a job in a factory. It was a shampoo factory where my, my whole job was I'd stand at the conveyor belt and, and shampoo would come along. I'd pick up the shampoo bottle and I'd polish the top and I'd put it down. And that was the entire job. <laughs> and I was like, I was there for three hours and I was thinking, this is just rubbish. What a rubbish <laughs> job. And because I'd never had a proper job before. And I looked at this, a friend of mine who worked there and I said, I said, this is awful. And he said, Oh, you get used to it. And I said, how long have you been here? And he said, seven years. Oh. And I was like, I'm not doing this. And I left. And at that point I thought, I'm going to be a musician. I don't know how, I don't know how it works. Cause you know, when you start as a musician, you're prepared to do whatever it takes. I'll do anything, right. I'll do whatever it takes. The problem is, is nobody knows what that means. No one tells <laughs> you what to do. So they just yeah. go, I'll do whatever it takes. But if you won't tell me, I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah. So, and you figure it out by just making a million mistakes and doing something and saying, nope, that didn't work. And then doing it again and again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then and I, um, I went back to music college because at which point I had no qualifications. And whilst I was there, I met a very inspirational person. Uh, a mentor to me and we ended up becoming very good friends and, and we left that music college three years later or four years later to set up our own version of it with the idea that it would never have more than 300 students and that was it it was gonna be 300 students and that's as far as we'd ever take it and then you know nine ten years later it had three and a half four thousand students and wow. um, that now it's got nearly nine thousand students and um it just kept growing and growing and growing and the whole idea and my whole life is built around the same thing which is how do you bring value to someone and how do you give people something that they want and need and at the same time how do you do that in a way that they can tell their friends because if you can look after someone like they've never been looked after mm -hmm. then even though you think that you're looking after one person you're actually looking after them and all of their, their surrounding people and the people who are looking <sighs> in and so whilst you're looking after one person and it feels very insular the reality is you might be looking after 300 people in that one incident what a great so, point i mean i was just thinking while you were talking you know when you started that you don't realize how hungry people are for yeah. something. And like you said, you start as a musician, you're like, I'll do anything. And you don't know what the anything is. So you're just sort of yeah. stumbling along doing that anything. And it's so strange because in the core of your band, you may know. But other than that, you don't realize how many other people are also stumbling along. And if you can be a light and go, hey, I figured out this one thing. Then, like you said, there's 300 or 3,000. They go, oh, I need that light. Absolutely. And that's the bit. You know, you start working on stuff and you figure things out. And, you know, I'm not saying it comes too late, but most people get to a certain age. And by the time they figured out the music industry, at that point, they've usually married with kids, with a mortgage, mm -hmm. with a car loan. And then they go, oh, I figured it out. And then they go, oh, I'm not doing all that. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not 18 anymore. And, and that's the circle that goes round. So I always felt like, why didn't someone tell me when I was 18? Oh, by the way, if you do these things, this is what happens. And, you know, that, that's what it became. And then we're in this interesting time with the music industry where everything's changing so quickly because oh, of so technology, fast. because of social media, because of consumption, because of politics and things in the world. And so now it's not just a case of, of knowing what to do, but someone has to be at the forefront of actually spotting these things and saying, Oh, 
YouTube's just changed. We need to change mm -hmm, our strategy. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, TikTok's just changed. We need to change our strategy again. So you're yes. now in this point where you're not just making something for consumption, but you're trying to actually what I call play the game. You're trying mm -hmm. to say, like, I understand. For me, you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm on YouTube. And I've seen what well, I feel like I've seen a lot in the world. But whenever I make a YouTube video, you, you better believe that thumbnail is me going yeah. like, I'm, like I'm shocked. And I'm not that shocked. But at the same point, I've, I've got to play the game because if I don't do that, right. I'm not going to get the views. So it's like, how are we going to make the music? And I don't want to be someone that just does something. You know, if, if I'm working with an artist and they deserve the world to hear them, then there's this phrase, which is, you know, uh, about build a better mousetrap and people will beat a path to your door. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, that misses one slight aspect out, which is you have to tell people first, because if you right. build a better mousetrap in your house and nobody knows about it, then no one's coming. So exactly. how do you spread the message? And one of the real difficulties that I see today is that First of all, as musicians anyway, we already had to wear a lot of hats, right? Yeah, right. We had to, you know, a lot of times if you didn't, weren't at the place yet where you had an agent or a manager, then you're doing the creative and you're writing your songs and doing your practices and then you're booking your own gigs and, you know, driving your own tour bus and all of those things, right? Now it's like, oh, add 10 tons of layers to that right. by yeah. just all the constantly changing tech. We were just talking about that right before we started here. I've got a bunch of new tech I'm working with and it's like, wait a minute, how's that plugging into that? So it's all of that. And then the marketing aspects and let's face it. I mean, as much as we can learn about doing all these new and different things, nobody, nobody is an expert at all of them. And we all have those areas that are not our strong suit. I I'm a creator. It is not my strong suit. For instance, I love to go, oh my gosh, have you seen Damien Keys? His, his thing is so great. And I want to tell people because it's helped me and it's going to help other people. When it comes to going, oh my gosh, have you seen the new thing that I did? Well, I am busy creating my next thing. Yeah. And so there's this moat between my castle and my kingdom out there, right? Where I've got to like cross the moat better by letting people know that it's there. And that's a difficult thing for me. Yeah. And do you know what's really interesting as well is I think we live in a time now because of YouTube and TikTok and all these other, you know, people telling us all of the things. Everyone tells us what we, what we need to do. Everyone, yeah. It's everywhere. You need to do this. You need to do this. And the irony is, is nobody tells you what you don't need to do. So, right. and so it, it becomes like you, you can't do anything. So what's the bit that I can leave? And so I remember mm -hmm. when my mum tells this story when, you know, whenever I'm back, she's like, whenever you used to eat food, when you were a little toddler, you'd start off where my mum would put the plate of food in front of me. And I'd start the conversation by saying, what can I leave? What do I not have to eat? And, and, and my mum would say, well, you, you have to eat the vegetables because they're good for you, but you don't have to. And it'd be like a bartering system. And it's the same thing. You know, all of a sudden, all these years later, it's like, hang on, if you're doing all of the things, like you just said, 
you're setting yourself up to fail. Yes. Because everyone's telling you, hey, you've got to do YouTube, you've got to do TikTok, you've got to do Instagram, you've got to do feed, you've got to do stories, you've got to do touring, you've got to do management, you've got to do production, you've got to be a, a recording engineer. You're like, I can't, I can't do these things. Right. So what's the bit that I can leave? What's the bit where I can say, if I can just set up a strategy, give me the basics. And if I can just say all of this stuff over here and all of this stuff over here for now is unimportant, just ignore it then that takes a huge weight off your shoulders. Huge. Because then you're like, oh, this becomes manageable, not because of what I, I can do or what I am doing, but because there's certain things that I thought I was supposed to do because everyone keeps telling me that, and it's it's not as important. Right. My latest on that is you've got to get on TikTok. You've only got X amount of months before TikTok blows up in this. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, okay. I've, I've been told that over and over. I'll try TikTok. First of all, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it because I liked the idea of these little short videos where I could just go on and, you know, maybe give some goodness to somebody that they needed in their day. However, what I quickly found was that now I'm just making TikTok videos all the time. Yeah, right. That's not in line with my purpose. That's just a vehicle for getting things out there. And so I said, you know what? Just stop. And it's okay to do that. Regroup. And I thought, I got to focus 100% on what my real wheelhouse is. I'm a former broadcasting person. I was in rock and roll radio for years and I am a performer. I've been on stage my whole life. And Short form like that, it's fine to lift things out, but I do much better in a longer form where I can get into conversations with people or I can deliver something that takes you on a journey that has a story to it. And you can do that in a song even, but now again, talking about how different it is, you know, we used to think in terms of the album or the CD. Yeah. And now it's more like singles, but that album was a journey. It had a theme to it. And, you know, even the album artwork meant something with the whole packaging and the theme. It was amazing. So just thinking about where my sweet spot is and what I feel like I love and that I'm passionate about, which is getting with other people like you and talking about things we love, namely music. When people, I think, really dive into okay, wait, who am I at my core? And letting that be an anchor so that whatever you do needs to always be stemming from that core and that anchor of who I am, as opposed to chasing the latest thing. Would you say? Yeah, I would. Yeah. And also, I think I have a phrase, which is finding the treasure. I call it finding the treasure or finding the gold. So there's a great book by a guy called Felix Dennis. And he he, he has this... Um, this phrase of finding the treasure. And he says, look, if you want the treasure, you have to go to the place on the treasure map, which says X marks the spot, the treasure is here. Otherwise, if you've got the treasure map, then you're just digging around. But here's the thing, when you get to the treasure and you find the treasure, you have to dig the treasure up. And so what lots of people do is they make a piece of content which starts to do well, and they say, oh, that did really, really well. And then they walk off looking for different treasure instead of saying, no, no, I found the treasure, dig, dig for the treasure. Now, if we know where the treasure is right now, the treasure, if you're classing treasure as free organic reach, then that treasure is going to be in micro content because that's where the people are. So if I put something on Instagram feed, 
I'm probably getting a third of the engagement that I got two years ago. I used to get 1,500 to 2,000 likes as a minimum on an Instagram post. Now I'll get 500 to 700. Just why? Because it's like 28 days later, everyone's gone. Everyone's in a different party. So I'm walking into the party and I'm like, hey, and only a third of the people are there. So therefore, if I say, well, I've got to go where the people are and where the money is, then I have to go to micro content. Now, the issue with this is if we're going to do that, then you have to play the game, which means, you know, finding the treasure, which means leaning into the bit that you do best. So whether that's performing, whether that's, like you said, it's education, whether it's slightly long form content, there's loads of ways of doing it. And so our job is to kind of cheat the system. It's like, how do we get people to see it? Because, you know, what we don't want to do is we don't want to say the bit that I do, unfortunately, doesn't fit into where the treasure is. So our job is to say, right, so this is the thing that I do. So for me, I'm, I'm the same. I'm, I'm education. I'm long form content. My background is standing in front of a classroom for two hours. And then the next class comes in. and I do it again for two hours. The next class in and I do two hours. And that's my background. Mm-hmm. So to sit down after spending two hours with someone on, you know, manipulating the groove of, of the beat, for example. And I'm talking yeah. about playing behind the beat and how the bass fits into the drums. And we're really going into detail for two hours. How do you put under 15 seconds? It doesn't work. So then what I've got to do is I've got to say, fine, but I still have to play the game. So there's my long form content. How do I take snippets of that and give the context in 15 seconds to give people a little teaser that they say, oh, I like that. And then we're getting them across. So it's like Netflix, you know, Netflix, the series might be 12 episodes, but they're going to give you 30 seconds to a minute. And in that 30 seconds to a minute, you say, oh, I would like to watch that, but I am going right. to dedicate 12 hours of my life. <laughs> but if it just comes up in front of you, you're like, what, what am I watching? I don't really get it. So this is the area where artists are now is with when it comes to TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, that's where you could potentially easily 10, if not 100x your numbers. So for example, if mm, I put something as huge. Yeah, if I put something on Instagram, let's say, let's, I don't know what, what numbers I've got on Instagram, but let's say I've got a thousand followers on Instagram. And if I put something out on Instagram feed, I could easily get, you know, a hundred likes, maybe 150 likes, maybe 200 likes. Now, if I put that piece of content in the right context on Instagram reels, even though I've only got a thousand followers, there's no reason why I can't get between 10 and a hundred thousand views, which means I've gone well outside of my organic reach. So, the problem is, you know, we've been wanting organic reach forever, you know, for a long, long time. Yeah. We've been watching the decline on all of these platforms. We finally got it. The problem now is we're saying, ah, that doesn't quite fit into the model that I work with, which is the long form content. So yeah. then I've got to say, right, so how do I bridge the gap between my music video, by my performances, by my interviews? How do I bridge the gap between that and the people who are coming in? So the way I would mm-hmm. explain this is, I like to think of it in four boxes. And I think any artist or creator in general fits into one of these four boxes. Box number one is people who who fit into your tribe. They might not, they, they might, uh, they definitely don't know who you are, but they should know who you are. So mm-hmm. it's the type of person that if they did know you, they'd say, oh, I like this. This is, this is my kind of stuff. So if you're, you know, if you're into, country music, for example, I'm not talking about people who like metal or EDM. I'm talking about country fans to fit into your demographic. That's box one. They just don't know who you are. Box two, which is a lot smaller, 
Box two is people who do know who you are, but they just don't care. So they've seen you, they might have heard a piece of music, they might have seen you live, and they go, yeah, yeah, no, I know who you are. Yeah, I just, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. They don't mm-hmm. dislike you, but they just don't, they don't care. Box right. three, smaller again. Box three is people who say, I, I like you. I like your stuff. And when it pops up, I listen to it. And, and I watch your content. And I, I just like it. And then box four, which is the smallest box, is the fan base, is the people who say, I'm going to pay to come to your gig. I'm going to buy that T-shirt. I'm going to spread the world. I'm going to tell everyone I am, you know, I am your rah-rah coach and I'm like all in for it. The problem here is people spend time creating for box four. But the problem we have is in doing so, 50 to 70 percent of the people who are going to see you on TikTok or Reels, especially, are in box one. So we're creating mm-hmm. people and saying, hey, guys, I'm at a gig. And everyone in box one and box two who sees it says, I don't know who you are, let alone why you're at a gig or why you're in front of me. Mm-hmm. So what we've got to do is we've got to make content which looks after box four, but they're fine. They're, they love you anyway. Whatever you do, they're in the zone. We've got to make content that when we put it in front of box one, they say, oh, who's this? I like this. And then they say, this is a bit of me. And then they say, hey, maybe I should go and find some more content. And we're pushing them along. Now, the way we do that is in context. So how could someone like, like us, for example, who make long form content, how can we make 15 to 60 second content, which gives context of who we are and what we do? And, and the answer to that is, you know, clipping up little clips, for example, and saying, oh, yeah. that was a good little bit. But the key is the context that goes along the screen. So going back to your point is you, you end up saying, oh, now I'm just making TikToks all day long. Mm-hmm. We, don't want to, we don't want to do that. We, no, no. What we want to do is <laughs> we, we want to spend the least amount of time for the most amount of game on TikTok so people say, oh, I like your stuff and I know who you are, so that eventually they come to Spotify or YouTube or whatever it is. So we give them the little, the little teasers, the little best bits, and the context then is effectively a way of us in text form across the bottom to say, hey, you don't know who, who I am, but you need to know who I am. And so, for example, for me, it might say something very simple, which is, hi, I'm Damien. You know, I'm a music marketer. Or I could say, hi, my name is Damien, and I uh, help musicians release music. Mm-hmm. And, and people just go, okay, I know who you are. Great. Yeah. I could even say, hi, I'm Damien. If you're releasing music, maybe this is for you. Now, the way I could do that, could I could just write that across the screen. Or I could write something which is more of a kind of problem solution. So I could say, for example, hey, if you've only had less than a thousand plays on your last Spotify, why not try this? And I give them 15 seconds. And at the end of it, it says, look, if you want the full hour of this, go across to my YouTube. Mm -hmm. How long would it have taken me to make the 15 seconds? Not long, because I took it from other big, bigger pieces of content and then I'm uploading it. The problem here is if people are trying to make content for TikTok on the go, so they're saying, oh, I've got to make that TikTok. You know, their whole... It's just not sustainable. Yeah, because when TikTok came out, Gary V was like, you got to get on TikTok, you got to yeah. get on TikTok. And I'm like, Gary, I'm 40. <laughs> I feel really creepy on TikTok. It's just a bunch of children dancing. It's not going to work out for me. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, the lockdowns happened and COVID happened. And I was like, oh, it was mainstream. I'm, Opportunity. I'm yeah. yeah, and welcome on. And at that point, I was like, okay, Gary, I'll, I'll join you. I'll come on TikTok. And I started making TikTok. And I was thinking, this feels like a lot of work for not a lot of gain because I wasn't doing it right. I was just, I was just thinking, oh, I've just got to make content because Gary V says so. Yeah. Instead of saying, well, how do I make something 
that someone who doesn't know who I am, how do I make something that they see it and say, hey, that was helpful. Thank you very much. That's all I've got to do. Or, mm-hmm. oh, hi, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. And nothing else. We don't have to worry about anything else. And so the three things that we are in control of is the video, the audio, and the context. So the video could be a little music video. It could be a performance. It could be whatever you want. It could be me miming along to a song. It could be me singing a song, whatever I want it to be. That's the video. The audio could be live or it could be just taken off the original song that you're, you're working with. But the context, the context right now is the most important thing that we have. So back in the day, you and I will both have done this. We'll have made music videos and those right. music videos will have had a home. Because there's MTV and there's whatever music you're into. There's MTV, there's country music, TV, there's all of these channels. VH1, yeah. VH1. They all went away. And then it was like YouTube, just houses on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But YouTube, you say, well, if I put that on YouTube, unless I promote it, no one's going to see this YouTube video for for my new song. So music videos became very expensive and not, not worthless, but just not worth the same as what they used to be because people are now spending money on getting you to see YouTube rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Then TikTok came along and said, well, the thing with music videos is instead of having a three-minute music video, why don't you make a 15-second micro bit of the music video with one added bonus that you've never been able to do before, which is add context to add a story into the video? Now, this bit to me is the most important aspect for anyone watching. If you are looking at trying to play the game, then TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube Shorts, in fact, all platforms right now, are all based around watch time. So I was on a call with TikTok not so long back, and I was just sort of asking them questions. And what what became very clear to me is how hard it is to get somebody to watch your content for five seconds. Because this is this is <laughs> the most amazing. powerful thing in the world. Oh, gosh, this is like, crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're in there somewhere. Like, where, like, where, 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 there I am, there I've gone. And so the game is how do you get people to watch content for five plus seconds? The average watch time, by the way, on any TikTok is 3.3 seconds. That's oh, it. Oh, my that's, goodness. That, that's our attention span. That's valuable to know, though, too, for anybody who is thinking, nobody's watching this. I've only got like 3.3 seconds. It's like, guess what? You're not alone. Yeah. (laughs) And so here's the best bit is if you can get the average watch time to 4.3 seconds, then instead of getting... 300 views on TikTok, you're going to get 3,000 views on TikTok. And if you and if you can go from four and a half seconds to five and a half seconds, you're going to go from 3,000 views to 30,000 views. And if oh, you add one amazing. more second, you're adding an extra zero. So all of a sudden, if you can get an average watch time on your TikTok to seven or eight seconds, you're going to get millions of views. Now, when I say that, you think, well, seven seconds doesn't sound a lot. But it is. It's huge. It's hard. So we play the game. If you put it in context of a 30-second or 60-second commercial on TV or on terrestrial radio, that is so long. In the context of life, it's a blip. But when you're talking about attention span... It's for, I mean, when I think about, oh, okay, I've got to do a 30-second commercial, a 60-second commercial, I've got forever. I can talk about all kinds of things in that 30. So yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot, but that seven seconds, like you're saying, can be, well, just you're talking about the value of it, the value per second. Yes. Is huge. So a tip for that is how you actually keep people on 
becomes the way that you tell a story more so than anything else. It's become, you know, I've got one second to take your finger away from the screen and I have to try and keep you there for five or six or seven seconds. Even if I've made 20 seconds worth of content, I'm just trying to keep you there for that one extra second. And I, and I know it's going to go further. So the way that we do that is we tell stories. And so imagine this. So I was, I was working with an artist last week and he's from, from London. And he's got this story he was telling me that his great granddad was a pigeon racer. <laughs> and I was like, that's what? so cool. He was like a champion pigeon racer. And I was like, that's exciting. So he said, oh, I wrote this song about my granddad who's a champion pigeon racer. Now, the problem with that is as soon as you're on TikTok and you say, hey, I wrote this song about my granddad who's a champion pigeon racer, everyone goes, thank you. And we're gone. That's it. One second. Great, great. Thank you. Don't care. I know. Now, if we start playing people at their own psychology, Imagine this. So instead of saying, I wrote this song about my great granddad who's a champion pigeon racer. Imagine if we say this. In 1915, my granddad, dot, dot, dot. Now I'm like, well, what happened to your what? granddad what? in 1915? So I'm watching. Yeah. That goes away. The next one, two seconds later, pops up, says, won the first ever championship medal in dot, dot, dot. Now I'm like, <laughs> well, what, I gotta well know. What, did he, what did he win? And then the next screen comes up and it says, pigeon racing. And he was my hero. So I wrote this song about him. By which point, people are like 10 seconds in. They're in. Because I'm like, I had to watch the whole thing. Yeah. And that's the way that we have to manipulate the psychology of saying, look, if I just say, hey, I wrote a song, everybody's I don't care. I don't care. But if we can say, let me tell you a story about that. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote a song about it. Now I'm like, oh, story time. And you know, when, when you hear, we hear the words "once upon a time." We're like, "Oh, whoa! Once upon a time, what happened?" Upon a time, oh, it's what huge. Happened? Stories since the beginning of time. It's how we know everything. Yeah, it's history. It's it's literally everything about our education. It's like we think that we learn something. It's this book. It's this. You know, it's this finite thing. Somebody sat down and they wrote this book to educate us about this, that, or the other. But if you carry it back, that came from this story, this story, this story to put it all together and make it into something concrete-ish or tangible. Yeah. And your story is constantly changing. And that, as creators, I think is one of the things that drives us. If you're enjoying this show and getting some insights that will help you on your life journey, then I've got some exciting news for you. There is now a premium version of the Naked Vibes podcast. It takes a lot of time and a lot of love to produce a podcast. So when you become a premium subscriber for just $5 a month, you help me keep the show up and running. You'll get an extra episode every month. Go to the show notes on nakedvibes.com for a link and I'll see you inside. Time for some music, y'all. This is my newly recorded song, Dark Sky, which I haven't even released yet. But I want you, my podcast listeners, to hear it. And you'll be the first to know when I do release it under the realm. Listen with me, and then I'll have more from Damien Keys. This is Dark Sky. Thank you. 
That was my newly recorded song, Dark Sky, from The Realm. Yep, I'm recording under the same name, The Realm, as my private group tribe that I've been telling you about. On the inside, you can get access to music before it's released, regular live meetings with me and some special guests, some Q&A, and a whole lot more goodies. I've got a lot of fun stuff planned inside The Realm. I want you to know about an upcoming online gathering called Real Men Rocket. It is a happening just for you guys in the early part of next year to help you get really dialed in to your unique purpose and what you have to offer. Because your desires, your particular way of seeing things, your energy are needed in this world, not in a way of an added responsibility on your shoulders molded from everyone else's expectations of you, but in the way of greater freedom for you freedom to operate from the foundation of your soul, your creative spark, that thing that's been in you since you were a kid and possibly locked away for a very long time. That thing is what you need to be bringing with you everywhere you show up in your work and in your relationships so you can be aligned with your core self. That's when your life becomes fulfilling. I'll be telling you more about it over the coming weeks and let you know when the doors are open for that. Here's what you can do to get an early bird discount. Become a part of the tribe. Join the realm. You'll get immediate access to the private online group where we can connect more deeply and you can connect with one another off of social media. Just go to nakedvibes.com and you'll see Join the Realm Tribe in the menu. Click on that. Here's more from my conversation with Damian Keyes, founder of DKMBA. Are you ready to get naked? I know in my own writing, I have a novel that I wrote as well. And so when I was writing that, the, you're talking about long form. The crazy thing about it was that I would start writing and I'd be like, it's like this. And then my brain would go, oh God, but is it? Except when it's like that. (laughs) Yeah. And so all the stories are coming from here, here, here. And then how do you take it and make it into something? And I love when you're talking about utilizing that in the context of something like TikTok, it's really, you're doing the same thing all the time, but it's just more and more time compressed, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. More time compressed and you've got to get to that story. So, you know, you and I, if we go on YouTube, I start my YouTube, I'm like, hey guys, Damien Keys here. Welcome back to the channel. TikTok. People are gone. Gone. <laughs> People are like, I don't care. So what we've got to do is we've got to say, hang on, how do I get all that information? And the information that they're the ones who need, because I'm not here for me, I'm here for them. How do I get that in one second? That's the crazy thing. And so many people are saying, oh, people haven't got any attention span. And I'm like, no, they don't. So therefore, you know, play the game. Like, Yeah, you can't they change that. Yes. So you, you have to, you either stand outside of that stream, try to swim upstream, which I'm guilty of a lot of times, or Me too. 
get in, you know, get into the stream. And when I say that, I don't mean that in, okay, abandon yourself and who you are. Because like I said, you know, I, I'm definitely an upstream swimmer a lot of times. but and, and that may not always go so well, but I'm doing me. But, you know, so you're not letting go of yourself when you decide to get into the flow. And I, I think that that is really a crucial thing to know because what can happen is you can lose yourself. Like going back to what I was saying about getting on TikTok. Now you're just making TikTok videos all the time and yeah. forgetting, wait, why was I even doing this in the first place? You can also lose yourself in thinking I've got to do what everyone's doing. This is what's going on these days. And I like to challenge people to say, don't ever do that. Remain who you are all the time yeah. to the extent that you can in yeah. whatever medium you're using or wherever you show up in life. And, you know, I'd, I'd really just like to say right there, one of the things you talk about what gets people's attention. Um, there's a lot of people online. There's a lot of teachers online now. There's so many different things that you can access. There's a lot of great things. And then there's a lot of schlock, you know. Um, but when I came across your videos, Damien, one of the things that struck me right away, first of all, I, I liked your delivery and I could tell very quickly that you knew what you were talking about. That was the first thing. Oh, like even right here, you pack a lot of real education into a short amount of time. I got to tell you, though, what then moved me over into DKMBA, that's a deeper learning experience for people so that, you know, where I was able to ask Damien questions about some of the very things that we're talking about. It's like you get to a certain point, you go, wait, what's the next step? How do I? But what brought me over there is that I can see and sense your genuine caring and compassion for people, your desire, you are a real educator because, and I want to say something really funny that happened the other day about this too. Um, you are a compassionate guy and you're a great educator. And so all that in one package, that makes people draw to you where they say, you know, not only can I learn something, but this guy actually cares. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to pay him. And that's what he gets out of it. You are in a real reciprocal relationship there. And um, I was talking to this man the other day. This was interesting. So typical me, I'm lumping like a ton of stories into like one little story here. <laughs> so follow along, follow the bouncing ball, right? So I'm an avid water skier. I ski an obstacle course. Wow. And so I ski out at a private lake. And I was out there the other day working out and training. And this gentleman came um, and he was sitting up above the dock and he's like 85 years old. And when I was done, I went up and talked to him and he had recently lost his wife. And he said, you know, I've made a ton of money. He goes, I know how to do that. I can do that all day long and I can do this and I can do that. He goes, but the one thing that I have not been able to conquer is the loneliness. And I said, well, you did the right thing. You got up off the couch and you said, hey, let me go be with some people. And so we got in this great conversation and it was funny. He brought up watching TikTok and I was talking about online education and things like that. And he said, and I felt like this was one of those moments. It was just trying to make conversation and trying to connect because it was a cliche. He said, well, you know, with education, I don't think people can make money doing that because you know what they say? Those who can't teach 
And I thought, oh man, there's so much to be said about that because it is so untrue. Now, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of us who have a desire to help others, a desire to see your light shine. You know, I want to shine my light, but then that's not enough. That's not satisfying. I want other people with me. So helping them have their light shine. And that was just something that I noticed about you. So in correlation to what he was talking about, that those who can't teach, not true. Not only can you, you have been a performing musician, you have started a school, and now you're showing people how to make this all work together. And it's highly valuable. So kind of speak a little bit to a few things that I'm saying in there. So men with an open heart and a desire to help others. I mean, to me, that's a strong man (laughs) willing to step out and do that and, and open his heart, you know, and there's a toughness to it. That's different than being, you know, the macho guy. So that's a real magnetizer, I think. And I'd love to hear you talk about your, you know, what drives you to care for others in that way, like you do and to just really keep showing up in that way. I think it's interesting, you know, I think the the case of those who can't do, those who can't teach, I think probably 30 or 40 years ago, there was probably an element of like, oh, I'll just get a job in high school and, you know, right. fair enough. But I, I think nowadays, I think to some of my heroes that when I was growing up, base, base heroes that I just, I just looked up to and I, you know, I was, I was obsessive bass player, you know, whilst everyone else was like, I'll play a bit of bass. I would sit eight hours a day. I'd be trying to learn the silliest licks. I'm like, this is my life. I'm obsessed by it. And the people that I looked up to, they do YouTube videos. And I'm like, does does that mean that they can't do? Does that mean that they, they have to teach? And it's like, they enjoy it. Right. They enjoy ways of building their brand of doing stuff. Right. And, you know, and if I want to go and play a gig, and one thing I can say, you know, I know that we were talking earlier about this kind of the, this, the spirituality around things. And one thing I do know is I was 23 when we started the company, never started a company before. It's amazing. Well, I was 32 when I sold my shares and I had, and this is not a woe is me story. I, I, I was set up for the rest of my life. I was, you know, I was in a very financially, very lucky position. I've never been so lonely in my entire life. Mm. I'd lost my friends and I'd lost my purpose. Like, and that to me was a really powerful thing to say, well, what, why do I wake up in the morning if I don't have purpose? Yeah. And in, in that moment, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? I was 32 years old. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? And everyone says to you, ah, oh, don't feel sorry for you. You've got money. And I was ah. like, well, but why do I wake up? What do I do? Yeah. And the only thing that made any sense to me was my 1977 Fender Precision Bass. That was it. I just looked across the room and, and I looked at it and I was like, I need to play music. Yes. That was the only thing I could think of to do. And so, you know, I was ringing friends and I was like, give me a gig. Just give me a gig. I, I, I want to forget my struggles. I, I want to just be around friends. I want to I want to just play music. I want to be in the zone. Yes. And that was the only thing that kept me going because it was horrible. It, it took nine and a half, ten months to sell the business and and I knew that if I was out on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just playing gigs in my own little world, looking across to a drummer who's sitting there laughing and smiling, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is purpose. You know, music is purpose. You're connected. Yeah, it is. Music is purpose, and it it grounds and it connects you. And I was just talking with someone a couple of days ago about the the unspoken language that we have as musicians and. 
I was watching a, a YouTube video. This has been quite a while ago, but it was an electronic musician. I think he was invited to come to a session and he had never been in, let's just call it a real recording studio. Okay. As opposed to a home, you know, they're all real recording studios now, but you know, a standalone business as a recording studio. Not only had he never been into a place like that, he actually did not know. And he, he made this statement. I couldn't even wrap my mind around this. He said, I didn't know that people actually played the instrument like there together. And then it got recorded. And uh, my brain was going, oh, I, how did you think that music like have? <laughs> yeah. So he's like alone in this silo doing all this stuff electronically. Mm. And so while that is a talent and a skill unto itself, so much of music making, it's communal, it's tribal. Yeah. And we speak a language to one another that goes way beyond words. It's highly intuitive and it connects us on a heart level, a soul level, on, you know, on a creative level. It, it amps up our energy. It turns us on in our sexuality. It's like our spirituality just everything. And none of that even has to be said or even addressed. It's just there. And so I, you know, really wanted to hear what you have to say too about for musicians who are in that silo creating alone about the value in getting with other people, even if it's just for fun. So, I mean, I, I think nowadays there's so much pressure around numbers, you know, you mm -hmm. have TikTok numbers, Instagram numbers, and we lose sight all of us, myself included, we lose sight of why we started this, of what yeah. we did. You know, everyone's got that story and how you started, how I start. I started because, you know, I, I remember a, my best mate at school. I was 15. My best mate at school who'd always played the, the classical. You know, there's always that one kid in school who's like got the classical guitar. And he convinced, <laughs> his, uh, he convinced his parents to get him an electric guitar. And when he bought it, I went with him to go and collect it. And I was like, what? It's like, cool. <laughs> it's the coolest thing when you're 15 years old. Right. Of course. And then he, he said to me, he was like, you know, we should start a band. And I was like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I can't play anything. And he was like, no, you'd have to, you'd have to get something. And I was like, I was like, that's amazing. I can be in a band. Okay. I was like, yeah, great. And I remember I was like, I'll get a guitar. And he just went, no, 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 I'm the guitarist. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, don't shred. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, I said, what, what would I do? He's like, you could be the bass player. And I, was like, oh. yeah. I was like, that's amazing. I don't know what that is. And he was like, oh, oh, it's like a guitar, but it's like a bigger version. I went straight home to my mom and I was like, for my birthday, can I have like a, a bass guitar? Is that what I can I have for my birthday? And my dad was like disappointed. He was like, no, 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 son, you need to be the guitarist. And I was like, no, no, because John <laughs> says, if I get a bass, I can be in a band. And my dad is He's like, like, John doesn't want to share the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, and then, you know, we did a gig at school. You know, I just remember standing on stage. I was just a bit of a goofy kid. I wasn't like, I wasn't a cool kid. I wasn't a smart kid. I was just a goofy kid. And I remember standing on stage and thinking, I found something, you know, and, you know, fast forward when you're playing on stage and you're just enjoying yourself, playing covers and just playing with your friends and stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that's thrown out the window and it's like TikTok numbers, YouTube numbers, record deal, management, right. distribution. And you're like, oh, I've just lost sight of the fun. And what you, if you think back to why we do this, mm -hmm. we do this because we want to connect. 
because right. we want to feel that feeling of standing on stage. We want to feel what it's like. Do you remember the first time you do walk into a studio and you see the big desk? Like, oh. <laughs> you know, when your friends have got like the little desk and you walk yes. into the studio and you see the big desk and you go, oh. and the first oh, time, like, yeah. and I remember, and they have like, you know, like now I'm surrounded by amplifiers, but I remember the first time I went to a studio and they had like a Marshall app. And I was like, oh, it's a Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably wasn't even a very good Marshall app, but in my head. <laughs> It's huge. <laughs> I was like, it's right. a Marshall amp. Wow. And, you know, and all of those feelings that you just go, that's why we do this. We do this right. because of the opportunities when someone says, hey, that was really great. I really, you know, yeah. I remember doing my first gig outside of school with a friend's band. And at the end of it, I was like 16. And we were walking back out of the pub, because it was a pub gig, just doing some covers. And this guy tapped me on the shoulder. He said, he said, well done, son. He's probably like, you know, he's probably 40 and I was 16. He said, well done, son. You did really good. And I remember what he looks like. I can remember his face because it was that powerful. Right. But I was like. It's huge. That feeling of someone saying, well, I, was, I was horrible. But at the same point, same <laughs> point he, he just said, well done, son. You did really good. And I was like, I just did something really good. And, you know, we forget all of those things. And yeah. that's the bit. We do this not for numbers. We do this because when someone says to you, "That's hey, I want to hear your music. I want you to play my gig. I want you to come and do my interview. I want yeah." We're like, that's the feeling. Yeah, that's why we should be doing this. Yeah. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, do me a favor and tell three friends to take a listen. Also, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. What that does is it tells Apple to put this show in front of more people. You can get to that straight from the show notes on NakedVibes.com. And while you're there, become a patron subscriber of the Naked Vibes show. For just $5 a month, you'll get a bonus episode every month, and it will help me keep the show going. This month, I've got a funny story in there for you from Damien about his touring days and a musician who really had trouble with all the ins and outs of touring, let's say. But you have to subscribe to hear that story. Go to NakedVibes.com. Naked Vibes. Well, and you know, it's really interesting that you say that too, because it's so true. And it's also one of the reasons that artists since the beginning of time, you know, have been exploited because people know as musicians, how many times have we heard my sister and I, we've been asked to play huge gigs and, and not concert tour stuff. Cause that's a different thing. That's a business. But when you're doing like a festival, a city festival or something, and they're looking for volunteers, they call us up and say, you know, this will be great exposure. And I'm like, how much is it going to pay us? Cause we have a band to pay. Okay. And they eat food just like you do. Yeah. And nothing wrong with volunteering. We've done plenty of it. But when that becomes the selling point, I'm like, we don't need that kind of exposure. Yeah. I can expose us in a lot of different ways. I can set up in front of our house on the street and expose us to a bunch of people in the neighborhood. So yeah. show that there's a value there. I, you know, I agree. Show value. I think what's really interesting with the word exposure is I get to say what's exposure. And so if I say, hey, I'd love to do that, that would be great exposure. Yes. I'm all in. If someone comes to me and says, you should do this, that's great exposure. Then I'm like, okay, now it feels weird. It feels weird. Yeah. Because if someone says to me, I've got this gig and it's 3000 people and I'm like, oh, you know, like, for example, 
you know, I haven't done loads and loads of studio bass playing, but I remember a friend of mine phoned up and said, I'm recording with this artist, quite a big artist in the UK. He says, the bass tracks need a bit of work. Now, he didn't use the word exposure. He just says, I could I could just do with your help. I wasn't thinking about money. I wasn't thinking. I was like, oh, right. that sounds really fun. I'm on the way. Yeah, I want to play. I'll be there in an hour's time. You know, if he'd have said, it'll be great exposure, I'd have been like, mate, I don't need exposure. What? Yeah. <laughs> but when it's put onto me and I think, hey, I'd love to do that. You know, there's plenty yeah. of gigs which are exposure, you know, because exposure is a real thing. If someone says, do you want to go on tour with Ed Sheeran? Exactly. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exposure. <laughs> yeah. But I get to decide. I get to decide what's exposure and the other person doesn't. Well, and typically all of those things that we did where exposure is the promise, because there's no value associated with it for those on the receiving end, uh, or those who are asking, I should say, because there's no value associated for them, I found that usually they did not step up to the plate to do anything on their end. The exposure was just, you show up, you play, there's going to be people there, they'll see you. Oh, but you didn't tell them who we were, you didn't put us in your advertising. So yeah. it's, I think you you come to a place where at some point we kind of became known for they're like, yeah, if you're going to call them, be prepared to have a contract and pay them because they're going to show up and they're going to expect this, this and this. So, you know, the trade off there was it, it was hard for me as an artist to be that business person. Yeah. And to say, no, we've got to do this, this, and this, and then show up on stage and suddenly flip the switch to now I'm the performer and we're having fun. But I did it because I wanted the best players playing with us, Yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah. they wanted to play with us because they were having fun and they were getting paid and we were showing that they had value, but it taught people around us too. you know what, here's the value. So if we want people to play for free, don't call them. Yeah. You know, you get what you pay for. Right. Yeah, I think there's a big there's, there's a big thing here as well with regards to why that would work because you know, if you're 18, 17, 18 years old and you walk into a meeting and you just say, "Hey, how much am I going to get paid?" most people would be like, "Get out. Do it." And so the 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 tipping point is leverage. And so what yes. happens is, you know, because there's, you know, from both both angles, if I'm if I'm 18 years old, you need to go and pay out. You need to go and play 500 gigs because otherwise yeah. you're not going to be good enough to be able to take on the better gigs. So you yeah. can say, hey, I should be, I should be, I should be, but you've got to be good enough to take them on. And right. so the leverage is the word that pivots between between the exposure and the, I don't need the exposure. So when someone says, I don't need the exposure, some people will say, I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> you can go in and say, look, I don't need the exposure because I've got these things. You need me more than I need you. Mm -hmm. That's leverage. As soon as someone says, I need you to come and do this, then it's like, well, in that case, this is these are, these are my terms. These are my costs. Right. The problem is if you go in too early and say, you know, I don't need you to do this, but I, I've got a slot. Do you want it? And someone says, how much? Then it's like, well, you don't have the leverage. And so what you're talking about there is you've got leverage. You know your worth. And you're, you're self-aware enough to know that your worth is that someone is going to pay you the money. And you're not just saying, I'm just throwing out, you know, you're not just returning. I'm saying, I want $100,000. And people say, well, obviously, that's silly. You're saying, I know my worth. Right. I know what I can do. But I will also caveat that by saying, the reason why you need me is because I'm going to make this show better. Because I'm going to hire these players in. Yes. And these players are not cheap. They're good. That's right. And if you want cheap players, you can get kids from down the road who are inexperienced. 
experience. They're everywhere. That's right. And so you're talking about leverage and knowing your worth, but you have to have the leverage. Right. Otherwise, because there's a million kids who are at music college that will say, hey, how much are you going to pay me? And I'd say, you're not ready. Right. Yeah. But once they are ready, I, I have to, I should pay them. Absolutely. And it's about, absolutely, you know, where people fit in. And you, so much of what you're teaching, it's like for those of us who've been in pre-online music, I'm a lifelong learner. Mm. I want to keep learning and keep growing as a person. This online music world is it's amazing and wonderful and also very challenging in all these new ways, you know, and, um, but if the world changes again, you know, do you want to swim upstream? Do you want to say I'm out? Or do you want to say, okay, let me see how I can take who I am and flow in there. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate so much about what you've done and what you are doing is showing people well, first of all, one one thing that I notice is, and I think you touched on this earlier, there, there are a lot of people who used to be musicians, you know, who used to play, they had their high school band or maybe did some in college and then uh, adult responsibilities come into the mix and kids and you don't have time. And I've talked to plenty of guys who are depressed and have anxiety and a lot of just life personal issues that bleeds into everything. And they still have that dream. They still have that passion to play, but they feel like, well, I'm past that because it's a really black and white way of thinking to say you either do it like this or you don't do it, you know? Yeah. And you know, what, what I like to say to people is, Oh my gosh, there's a way pick up that instrument again. And even if you're just pounding your drums in your own room, you've got your man cave or whatever it is. And you're just in there and you're cranking your Marshall up to 11, right? Then just <laughs> get in there and do that. You know, if it, it, it's just for you. And then beyond that, if you want to get with some other people, have a band. Do some local gigs or whatever, or again, just in your garage with your friends. And I, I'm a believer that you are never too old to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're never too out of the loop to do that. You know, so true because nowadays, you know, the best thing about the whole, not just this isn't music industry, but the best thing is, you know, there's pros and cons to where we are. Number one, you are totally in control. Like you, you could be that 85 year old man and say, Hey, I'm just going to pick up TikTok and I'm going to start creating and no one can stop me and I can build an audience and no one can stop me. The yeah. only thing that is hard is everyone else can too. So it's like, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's taken all the barriers down. Yes. But, you know, that's the great thing is, is, you know, one thing that, that there's definitely, you know, when I got signed, for example, it was in the nineties and part of me thinks, God, it was so much easier back then in certain aspects, but almost impossible at the same time. Whereas now, at least people can understand how to do it and they're in control of it. It's just, it's, it, there's just more fish in the sea. So it's just, it's just a tougher, a tougher ask. But, yeah. you know, the best thing is, is you're in control right now. You're in control, whoever you are, whatever you do, there is a, there is a way that you can not only just say, Hey, I really love what I do. I wish I could get more people to listen. You don't have to say, I'm going to be number one in the charts. You can say, I just want a little audience that are going to appreciate me and it's my community. And I think that purpose and that community will always help things like, you know, anxiety, mental health, 
uh, giving you some purpose, making you wake up every day to say, hey, I want to just chat to, I want to make that video today for so-and-so, or, or I'm going to make that video and you're going to get that comment from a few people saying, hey, I really appreciate you for, for doing that. You know, that to me, you can do at any age, any talent, you know, it's just, that's the best, that's the best bit about this time of creating. Yes, it really is. You know, I think music is also, and I say this to people who do feel like they are very spiritually connected, as much as I say it to someone who thinks that, you know, they don't have time for that, they don't believe in that, whatever it is. You know, what I always like to say that to that is we're talking about energy. Yeah. We're talking about like low level and high level energy. And I don't care who you are, what you believe in. We all can feel an energy that is either bringing us down or lifting us up. So music can be a deeply spiritual practice and meditational tool. And uh, I'm a Remo Drums health rhythms facilitator. That's something that I decided to do because I've always found a correlation between music and health, especially mental health, but physical health too. And when I ran across that, I went, oh, that's for me. And I love that program because it it has the science behind it of how particular drumming protocols specifically release cancer fighting killer cells. Mm. And they can measure that in the blood during this drumming protocol. And they use it in all kinds of ways. It's amazing. And so it's not just something that I feel. It's something that is backed up by science. And so I would say, you know, engage in your music if you've left it behind or if it feels like you've got to do it differently now, like you were talking about, maybe you've been touring and now touring's not the thing. And so it feels like, well, I'm falling off the map. There are so many new and different ways to stay engaged. So many things. You had shared with me that you have your own spiritual practices and that's been a part of your life. If you would touch on how and why that's meaningful to you and your purpose, because you do show up as a powerful person who is really engaged with life and has a lot of love to give. And I think people don't do that if they're not engaging in a spiritual practice of some kind. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, I went to a, a very religious, I went to a Bible college, which was called the Bible College of Wales, which was my country I'm from. And, you know, every day we'd read the Bible, every day we would have, you know, assembly, we'd have, um, read the Bible, and then we'd have most of the day and then finish off the same thing, reading the Bible. You, you, you know, going through that, and then from a point of view of, I think the one thing that I learned from that school is a very, very small school, like the entire school from start from, from um, you know, four years old to 11 and then he went to another school same sort of thing was 11 to 18 the entire school was about 100 people in the entire school so like really small um but the 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 one thing that was really you know driven home was this kind of purpose you know having purpose and and you know showing up like you said i i feel like I think my struggles, uh, my struggles is work. I, I love work, but it's t- to the detriment of before I met my wife, I bought the bought a place next door and I just would go to work at eight o'clock in the morning and I would go home at nine, 10, 11 at night, which meant going next door. 
and I'd fall asleep on the sofa and I'd wake up and I'd do it seven days a week. And everyone would say, you know, it's really unhealthy. It's really unhealthy. And I was like, why? Well, I, I enjoy it. I don't care what you think. I don't care about holidays. I didn't go for an entire, I had one holiday when I was in my 20s for the decade. And, you know, that wasn't like, a, oh, I only went for one holiday. I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to. I was like, I'm busy. <laughs> I have stuff to do. <laughs> and then you start to realize as, as you get older that, you know, the bit that you really enjoy is the bit with people. Yes. Yeah. That was the bit, you know, is the people that became the thing. And now, that's the bit I do. That I, I only want to spend time, you know, se- I, I'm, you know, I'm selfish. I'm selfish like everyone else. I, I'm like, I only want to spend time on the bits that I enjoy and the bits that make a difference and the bits that make a difference of people because yeah. that's what the world is. The world needs just people. And, you know, yeah. I, I enjoy it when people spend time with me. So that's the bit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just staying connected. And we've been through this, um, Everyone has been through this period of time where we have been disconnected. And obviously, cool things were born out of that, too. Like being able to, it's like people are going to connect. We're going to find a new way to connect like this, you know, whatever we have to do. Yeah. And so that's the, the beauty sometimes of going through just really tough times. But I just, uh, I appreciate your time today so much. And I don't want to leave without asking you to just tell people, because if there's anybody watching this who doesn't know Damien yet, um, just give us a little bit of, of who you've toured with and, and where you've played bass and that kind of thing. So as a bass player, I got signed when I was 18, then got dropped. Then I went into, because I was quite young at the time. So I went into playing for a lot of, of the the kind of classic boy bands, so the, there was a lot of UK versions of you know Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and those sorts of ones. Um, then after that, I you know I would just play anywhere and everywhere. So yeah. I, I think CDs are, are very interesting things because I've done two thousand gigs, and you know on my CV, if you read it, it's quite impressive. You know I played bass. I, I, I've played with Eric Clapton, uh, Lannis Morissette, Taylor Hawkins. I remember playing a gig with Taylor Hawkins. And, oh, amazing. You know, guy is, I was very young. I was 19 at the time. I was doing this big gig and um, Taylor just came over and he just went, this is going to be great. I heard you play. <sighs> this is going to be great. And I was like, I needed that. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I was not confident. Uh, you know, and <sighs> so, you know, I, I've been fortunate to play for, you know, quite a lot of drummers. I played for Billy Cobham, you know, oh, Chad wow. Smith, loads, yeah. of, loads of people that I've just had real fun with playing gigs. Um did a gig with Bob Dylan, which that was the one thing my mum was very excited. I did a gig with Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's like, you have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was good, you know, and, and, you know, just, uh, just, but the interesting thing is, you know, when you, when you write it all into a paragraph, you go, wow, that's really impressive. What you don't realize is the other 1900 gigs, which were just, you know, yes, I've just done the same as everyone else. And everyone, you know, unless you're Nathan East and you're a bass player who just goes, oh, I'm just, I play for these world superstars. For everybody. (laughs) Yes. Most people is like, give me a gig. And if I'm playing on a West End theater one day, and if I'm playing for a wedding the next day, and if I'm playing for an arena the next day, it's, you know, work is work. Give me the food. Right, exactly. And so... You know, I'm I'm just as proud of all of the gigs that I've done because I just love playing with great musicians and sometimes yes. you get you know, sometimes you get to play with those moments where you just go, Hey, I remember this one time. like I you know, my favorite story is I remember standing on stage and I was very this was a very fortunate moment, but I was standing on stage and Eric Clapton was one side of me and Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd was the other side of me. 
uh, and Pete Townsend from The Who was about 10 foot away from me. Taylor, <laughs> Taylor Hawkins was on drums. And I was standing there and I remember looking at these people and I remember thinking, can life get any better than this? I'm literally <laughs> playing with these megastars of people. Yeah, seriously. Huge megastars. And I was yeah, I died at, and went to rock and roll heaven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was all of these amazing superstars. Like, this is unbelievable. Three days later... I played to a club with about three people in it. Yeah. And I remember just thinking three days ago, I was playing in front of 150,000 people with these superstars. Three days later, I'm playing to the people behind the bar. <laughs> you know, and I'm like... Right. And you know what? That's such a great example that people need to hear when they haven't done something to that level. Okay. When they haven't toured or they haven't worked with other really great, well-known musicians, it's like, oh, that's out there. That's something that's out there, but you can appreciate all of it, every bit of it. When you get to play music with other people, it's a great day. Yeah. And as long as you're playing music that you love with people that you love, you're a winner. Absolutely. Everyone worries about numbers and money. And if you do what you love in music, then that's the number one win. And if you do it well enough and you do it for long enough, the money and the numbers do actually come. But yes. you know, you also have to have the rough with the smooth. And for every for every arena I've played, I've played many dive bars. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love and appreciate so much what you're doing now and the way that you're helping. Ah, thank you. You know, all of us, whether it is a musician, a 16-year-old and 12-year-old who's just now saying, hey, this is what I want to do. What do I do? And they probably know way more about, you know, all the online stuff than I do. Or whether it's working with people like me, people who are seasoned players who are like, wow, things have changed. I'm not sure what to do now. You're helping everybody in that whole bandwidth to understand how to make this happen online and reach people with your music. And I've loved it and I've enjoyed watching those so much. And I've enjoyed the things that I've done, you know, inside the DK MBA. I got to get all those letters right <laughs> um, program. And, you know, so it just was natural. I kept thinking about it and I thought, you know, I just really want to have a conversation with Damien here. And so that anybody who hasn't seen you can and can tap into that, uh, especially just musicians that I know who are wondering what's next. There, There is a next, right? Absolutely. 100%. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, you know, this has been fun as always talking with other musicians. You know how much I love that. And I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed watching this episode of the Naked Vibe Show, then I hope you will subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And also know that there is a premium version of the Naked Vibes podcast that you can find at nakedvibes.com. And I really want you to take a look at that because that will help me keep this show going. So as always, bring your full self, stand in your truth, love big. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Damien. Thank you. Thank 
thank you so much for listening to the show. I would love and appreciate it if you would become a patron of the podcast. And by doing that, you get a bonus episode every month for just $5. Go to NakedVibes.com and sign up for that right now. You have the freedom to be naked and unashamed about who you truly are. Stand in the truth, love big, and you are aligned with the greatest power in the universe. I'm Kimberly Kane, and this is Naked Vibes. Naked Vibes.